Are you a Christian who wants to go deeper into the roots of your faith? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Grafted, Jewish Roots of Christianity. This is a podcast for Christians who want to understand the Jewishness of Jesus and his word. I'm your host, Stephanie Pavlantos. I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. I'm also an author and a Bible teacher. In this podcast, we will stretch and maybe even challenge you to look at Scripture from a Hebraic point of view. We want to help you understand Scripture through the lens of the Hebrew language, culture, and history. Thank you for joining us. So today, I just want to welcome our guest, Lois Tuberberg. Uh, She has been writing and speaking on the Jewish background of Christianity for 20 years. She has several books out, one of which is called Reading the Bible with Rabbi Jesus. That was a book I read and when I first heard about her. And the other thing I thought was pretty cool about Lois was that um, we had slightly similar backgrounds in that we were both biologists. Uh, She has her PhD in molecular physiology, but we had an interesting conversation just on our our biology stuff and our teaching. She taught biology in college and I taught biology in high school and anatomy and all that kind of stuff. So, and then our love for language, our love for the Hebrew scriptures and the Jewishness of of Jesus. So I just want to welcome her today to this program because I think that she's got a lot of good stuff to share with us. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Stephanie. Yes, I'm looking forward to talking with you. So One of the things that you mentioned that I I read in one of your books was about the whole Greek mindedness versus the Hebrew mind. It's the way we think, the way that we learn even is a difference between the way maybe the Hebrew way of doing things and the Greek way. And we're essentially everywhere we're taught, whether it's elementary school, high school, college or seminary, we're taught in a very Greek pattern, very Greek way. I was hoping or I was going to ask you to maybe unpack that a little bit and explain those differences to us. Sure. Well, first is that um, when we talk about Greek versus Hebrew, we make it sound like it's only about language. It's actually more about culture. And the, the language is actually kind of a result of the culture that's going on around it. About 500 B.C., In between the Testaments, the Greeks had this amazing new idea is that instead of just talking about the things around them, like books and chairs and tables and houses, they said, let's talk about ideas about those things. And then we're going to come up with abstract categories. And so instead, here, I'm I'm hitting my table here. Let's not talk about this table Let's talk about the idea of the table, uh, the, ab- the table in abstract. And so they spent a lot of time coming up with abstractions and ideas. And, and they started having to need a new vocabulary to talk about all their ideas. And so, but through that, you start inventing things like geometry and mathematics you know, you can talk about, first you start with tables, and then you start talking about matter and wood and woodenness and mm. reality. And so you're moving into, and you say, and, and we kind of feel like, oh, that's beautiful and sophisticated. Because honestly, science is really helpful, and it's incredibly useful for understanding our world. And that's kind of the the Western 
Greek brain is has been thoroughly saturated in the idea of is that we we're not that interested in the physical stuff here. We're interested in the great laws and ideas that are going on behind it. Those are eternal things. The Greeks are almost, they're kind of because they've decided the Greeks were starting to disbelieve in their gods. And so they decide, well, let's find something else that is as eternal. And ideas are nicely eternal. So there you go. Let's, let's worship our ideas in some way. I would say that's kind of what's going on. And so here's an example. Uh, and it's what I should also say is, why is that important? It's a bigger thing than just what's reading in the text. And it's not just Hebrew and Greek. The Western, modern Europe and America, we are the cultural descendants of these thinkers. But much of the world, Africa, Asia and many traditional cultures around the world are still very, very Hebraic. And it doesn't mean they're stupid, but they tend to understand the Old Testament much better than we do because the Old Testament is much more Hebraic. Um, you start seeing little shifts. Uh, here's an example. There was a Bible translator, I think he was in Papua New Guinea, and he um, was reading, he's trying to translate where Paul says, love is patient, love is kind. And the language he was trying to translate it in, they, they didn't have any word where love was an abstract concept, that it's a thing that floats. Uh, love is a verb that I, you either have, I love you, you have to have a person doing it and a person who's being loved. And so how can you say love is kind? It's like this weird little ghost of something is out there that's this love thing instead of saying. And so what he had to say is people who love other people are kind people because he had to make it concrete and talk about people and not just a thing floating around mm -hmm. called love, which didn't have any reality until you actually put it between two people. That's there. You see, that's where Paul and you hear it in John. John is a really more Greek-ish sounding things where you hear about light and these ideas. Really, the major story is about, well, that Jesus is meditating on. He's talking about God's love for his people and his desire to redeem mm -hmm. his people and his, and then of course his own role in doing that. And he's actually talking about Israel and the history of Israel and God's promises that come from the Hebrew Bible. And that's a reality. And Hebraic thought is much more about experience and reality. And that, and there's an expectation that you have a memory of what God has promised in the Torah, what he's done for Israel and what he has promised he's going to do in the future. And Jesus expects people to understand that. And so he talks in, um, he tells parables, but he expects that you know the background. He knows all the scriptures that are going on in the background. And so Greeks, they're off in abstraction land, and they're just, they're, it's two different wavelengths, I would say. That was a long answer. If no, that that's perfect. That's really right. good because, because you're right. I mean, today, unless we're speaking in a church, and even sometimes then, you can't expect people to understand the background of oh. a verse. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and, but that's what they study. They'd spent 
all the men spent a lot of time studying mm-hmm. scripture in school. That's what they study. Mm-hmm. And we don't, obviously, unless you go to what we call Sunday school and, you know, every service, Wednesday night Bible studies, whatever. And so sometimes even when I have taught, I remember just saying something about the author of Revelation and somebody said, oh, well, so who are you talking about? You know, they, I took for granted, they knew John was the author of Revelation, but it was wrong of me because this person did not know that. And so sometimes we can't teach like Jesus in that way. We can't assume that they have the background, but but Jesus did. It makes it very hard to understand Jesus when you don't know his Bible. That was one of the most convicting things. One of the first things I learned was that Jesus, when I started studying his Jewishness, was, you know, that he hinted and quoted and um, was referring to his text all of the time. And that is very Jewish, and it's been a part of their way of doing things for thousands of years, and Christians don't know that. And so, and it actually was really important because there, you know, in recent years, there are all these books that come out saying, oh, Jesus didn't really believe he was the Messiah and the Son of God. Well, actually, he believed it pretty clearly, but he did it by quoting and hinting at all the scriptures that he was fulfilling. And our because the scholars, New Testament scholars, never even bothered to learn very much about the Old Testament, like, we don't know, we don't notice. And so ironic, that's, I gave a talk called How Understanding the Jewishness of Jesus Saved My Faith, and that actually made a big difference. I had taken a class in college where the professors were, kind of had studied all of the liberal stuff where it says, oh, Jesus didn't believe any of that. Yeah, they didn't know anything about his Jewish context, and that was the problem. It is. I totally agree, because we can go through, and I'm not not putting down Bible colleges and seminaries, but we can go and accumulate so much knowledge, but that we don't understand who the person of Jesus, the Messiah, was and is, and, and understanding what he did. And, and like you said, I mean, even in, even in some of the gospels and even some of Paul's writings, you know, unless they're writing to the Gentiles, they explain more, but in some of the, like what we might call Hebrew writings, they were writing to an audience who knew scripture, who knew the old Testament. And therefore they left out some of the things that were like, what, what does that mean? Because I don't understand. So there's gaps Yep, and right. it's yep. it's mainly just from us not understanding, not having the knowledge of yep. the Jewishness of Scripture and the Jewish culture and language. Yeah, and yep. I read where because um, you you brought up that how it saved you know your faith, learning mm-hmm. the Jewishness of Jesus saved your faith. But I read where your opinion and your outlook on who God was mm-hmm. was very rough around the edges so to speak it was it was kind of of this god who was a bit judgmental and really didn't care about your prayers really didn't care so can you elaborate on that a little bit well a lot of people honestly say jesus came to save us from god Mm. (laughs) and uh, uh, uh 
you occasionally hear that is there's a mm-hmm. sense of we love Jesus so much, but we really don't like the God of the Bible or especially the Old Testament because he just seems so horrible. And I remember when I was in catechism in high school, I was we were learning our Ten Commandments, and it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Um, mm-hmm. all of, and I sat there going, I don't even like him. Why would I love him? I don't know how you... <laughs> it was like, mm-hmm. uh-oh, maybe there's a problem here, is that I love Jesus, but I don't like his Father. But Jesus says, I am the Father, our one. Maybe there's a problem. Then then the real challenge was when I, when I picked up some commentaries on the... Torah, the part of the Bible I like disliked the most, that were written by Jewish people who had only known the bad side of God. I'm sorry, I'm giving you all of the. And then I, I found they love God. They think He's great. And when they read uh, commandments He gave, they say, "Why would God give us such a wonderful like putting tassels on your garments?" And I would say, oh, that's so legalistic and dumb. I'm so glad I don't have to do that. And the, But then these scholars would say, what reason would a good and loving God have for giving this to his people? And then they would look in the, the ancient world and they study the context and they'd say, oh, you know what? Uh, wearing garments with long tassels was a sign of nobility and priesthood, having blue, the blue was a, a royal color, of course, and the whole idea of having an ornate hem, you think of like the priests that wore bells and pomegranates. Uh, and so it's like telling everybody, you are a nation of priests, and you're putting on a uniform every morning, and it's going to remind you that you represent me. And it's a really profound message but I'm sitting there saying, well, oh, it's dumb. I don't like it. And they're saying, wow, God gave us such loving ideas and laws. I said, wow, am I missing the point here when I'm reading the Bible the way I was as a Christian? <laughs> so. And that is beautiful. I'm, I, uh, I think that's really incredible because we do miss those little things. When you were even talking about love is that verse in, in, um, First Corinthians 13. I mean, I read from somebody who wrote, you can, instead of love, you can put in God's name. God is love. You know, God mm-hmm. is kind. Mm-hmm. And that gives you the picture of who God is, mm-hmm. but also that he can do those things very easily, mm-hmm. but he doesn't give us anything to do that he doesn't do. Mm-hmm. He doesn't command anything out of us that he doesn't already do he loves us unconditionally he wants Mm -hmm. us to love people he wants Mm -hmm. us to be kind Mm -hmm. we don't see a god of love often in the old testament but Mm -hmm. if we look with Mm -hmm. a different mindset Mm -hmm. we will see a god Mm -hmm. of love and we'll see Mm -hmm. a god who protected his Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. because he wanted them to be a light to the world he wanted Mm -hmm. them to share about who he was yeah, right. And right. so yeah. there's so many layers to the mm-hmm. Old Testament and to the Bible. Right. That's right. They um, really are. It's good. It's, and it's it's just, it, 
it's not something that we should just read haphazardly. I think even if people just took a few verses and just studied those and got the most out of a few verses, but we kind of concentrate on the big picture instead mm-hmm. of getting into the details. That's right. And mm-hmm. we yeah. learn more from the details than the big picture. Right. That's right. It's true. There's an assumption that you know the details, that the, the I guess I would say the Greek way of dealing with the Bible is that you, you reduce the stories to ideas, and then you systematize the ideas, and then you just teach the ideas, and you want everybody to only learn the ideas and don't worry about the stories, because you won't remember them anyhow. That's the mm. greek way. The... Hebrew Jewish way of reading the Bible, what they say is turn it and turn it and turn it again for everything is within it. And so there is this tradition of with the Torah that you read it through every year and every synagogue around the world is reading through the Torah every year. Mm-hmm. And every you can ask anybody on the street what what's the reading for this week? One of my friends in Israel says that if you get a calendar from the bank and it's a secular calendar, it will have the names of all of the little readings in it because people just keep track of time that way. That's how we know where we're at is by reading our Bibles over and over and over. That makes a culture really familiar with the text in a way that we just... We use our brains for everything else, but and that's why when Jesus speaks in fluent, I don't want to say, well, biblish, he expects you to know your Bible when he's speaking, and then you're, I've been speaking another language. I, I think about everything else except for what the text is and what God promised. Mm, that's a really good point because we do, we speak everything else. Like, you know, think of all the, you know, I say TikTok, I say Twitter, you know, this is a whole new language. And to some people our age, it's like, you know, my husband's like, I don't want to even hear it. I don't even want to know about those things. Yeah, that's right. um, But we can speak Bible, you know, we can speak Mm -hmm. the words of Jesus and then we can form a relationship out of understanding his word. We form a deeper relationship Mm -hmm. with the God of the universe Mm -hmm. by understanding who his son is and his word that he gave us pretty much as a really as a gift, as a as his teaching. Mm -hmm. He gave it to us to learn more about him. And we kind of take that for granted. So That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. One of the yep. other things I wanted to ask you about, because in talking and keeping with the theme of the Greek and Hebrew thought, mm-hmm. we also see salvation differently sometimes mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. the church mm-hmm. and as a Western mindset mm-hmm. compared to how maybe Paul thought mm-hmm. of salvation mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. in the Bible. So could mm-hmm. you unpack that a little bit for us? Okay. Um, well, our general idea is um, salvation means going to heaven when I die, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. and the general idea is that you pray the prayer, you get saved, you, you check off that box, and now you just do whatever because you're saved by grace, and thank goodness you don't have to do anything because mm. that's grace. We never do anything. No, no, no. Don't do anything. And then... When you die, you go to heaven because you prayed the prayer and you trust Jesus. And honestly, in many ways, it's 
I'm not trying to undermine that. That's really true. But it's actually a misunderstanding. We, we're skipping over all sorts of things about Jesus calling disciples to walk after him and live like him and uh, repent. Every, you know, repent and be baptized. Uh, and so salvation, instead of being, well, when people ask, like the rich young ruler asked Jesus, how can I have eternal life? He actually, here, I'll tell you where he's asking. He's thinking in terms of the Bible's promise that uh, when the Messiah comes, he sees it in the prophets that the Messiah is going to come at the end of a huge war where everybody's going to be killed. And then the people who are resurrected from the dead will be, the first to be resurrected from the dead will be the Messiah. And he will judge the living from the dead. And the people who are chosen to live in his kingdom will live forever. And then, you know, all the other judgment stuff. And so when they're asking about how can I have eternal life, they're thinking ahead to this future judgment scene. And they're saying, what's going to happen to me? Which is exactly what Christians are kind of talking about. But you hear Jesus pushing back on that and saying, if you want to have life, follow the commandments. And he's saying, don't just think about the very end. Follow and do what I'm doing right now. Let the Lord reign over your life right now. Don't just do whatever you want, hoping that at the end you can skip to the happy part. Um, it's uh, the kingdom of God is over us right now, that each one of us, there's a, here. if you don't mind me quoting scripture, but I think you kind of have to in order. It says, okay, Isaiah 66, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. And what is the house that you would build for me? And what is my place of rest? All these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Mm. Isaiah is talking about God doesn't dwell in this temple that you're kind of worshiping and thinking is the ultimate thing. God really dwells in the hearts of people who love and obey and live their lives according to what he tells them to do. And that's, that is really the kingdom of God. And that's exactly where Jesus gets the blessed are the poor in spirit for those is the kingdom of heaven. And it's mm -hmm. saying God's kingdom doesn't just come at the end after this big war, boom, and everybody dies. And then God's kingdom is there. No, God is king when a person humbles himself and repents of their sin and follows Christ and is humble and contrite and says, okay, God, now I will do what you want me to do. That would be how I'd explain it now. That's good because I've read it more than once that as Christians, we kind of just look to the future. We kind of look to the eternal mm -hmm. instead of looking at the here and now and mm -hmm. all the suffering we go through, all the trials, tribulations we go through in this life are no different than what Jesus went through right. um, mm -hmm. in most ways. You know, he was tempted, mm -hmm. the Bible says, in every way, but yet was without sin. So when we look at the here and now instead of the eternal, mm -hmm. 
I mean, it doesn't hurt to be eternal thinking, but but we're supposed to think now and have, and like you said, the kingdom of heaven is now. It's mm-hmm. in our hearts already. Mm-hmm. And I think I read where you had said that Paul is talking about sin. And if we're living mm-hmm. in the kingdom of heaven right now, because it's mm-hmm. in our hearts, mm-hmm. then we don't continue living a life of sin because we're right. already living in the exactly. kingdom. Yes, you're okay. saying what I, yeah, you're giving the punchline that I didn't quite get there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that, no, but that's exactly it, is that when we talk about, you know, Jesus' main theme is the kingdom of God, and we're like, what is that? You mean when, when we go to die and go to heaven? That's the theme, right? You could say the main plot from the very beginning of Genesis is, well, you know, when we have sin that goes on in the world, is that God's natural place over the world is to reign over it in a loving way, you know, and Adam was supposed to be the king that uh, was the very image of God, and that's what kings thought about themselves. They called themselves, we're the image of God. We are God's Mm. very presence on earth is us, and yet the first time, the first teeny weeny little thing, God says, don't do this. He says, not do it anyhow. That was the very beginning of the, I don't, I think I'll just do my own thing. Humanity stopped letting God be king at that point. And the whole rest of the Bible is the question of how does God regain his kingship, rightfully his, and his loving presence that will redeem the world. And that's what Jesus is answering. And and really when he says the the kingdom is, is not coming here or there, but the kingdom of God is within you, he means you need to repent and bow down and allow God to reign over you, the kingship of God. And Jesus is, I mean, the Christ, the Messiah, that means God's anointed, the anointed king. Jesus is the king who reigns over God's kingdom, and he's proclaiming God's kingdom, and he's reigning over. He reigns over those who accept him as king. So that's why you're trying to figure out, is is it all about ideas? No, it's also because um, there are prophecies about this Messiah, that he's going to establish God's kingdom. But then there's this prophecy about him suffering. And at the end, God says that he, because he suffered for his people, God will give him the nations as his inheritance. Kings are always given. I, I've written a lot about kings, and we don't we don't care even like kings, even though, well, it's kind of an important thing. But there's this, I went to England several years ago, and we went to this uh, display of all of the queen's stuff that she personally owns. And it's a tradition is that you always give, when you visit a king, you always bring a gift. And kings give other kings these incredible gifts. Well, what God tells the Messiah at the end of Isaiah 53 is, I'm going to give you the nations as a gift. They are now yours. And so when we, because you paid for their sins. And so that's how when we worship Christ, we are worshiping God as king because he is God's ultimate and true image on earth. We're just kind of the, then we'll follow up and try to be like him. And then we'll become, we'll live into what it really means to be God's image on earth. As we Mm. become like Christ. That's kind of the idea. I'm telling, I'm speaking, trying to speak Hebraically to you. And tell you the 
Hebrew way of living, you know, I guess, your eternal life on earth is to become the image of God, which is what you were supposed to do all along. That's right. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much that we leave out, isn't there? Mm -hmm. um, I feel like the deeper you go into mm -hmm. God's word and into your relationship with Jesus, the more he wants to just show you and reveal himself to you. And that's kind of the gift in a sense that we get for pursuing him, for following him. He shows us and he teaches us and he reveals more about his heart mm -hmm. and his love for us. And I don't think that most of us understand the great love of God is mm -hmm. through his son. And like mm -hmm. you said, he's a manifestation of who God is. And, mm -hmm. and when we want to do things like, ignore the old testament or even take it out i mean i i knew a couple who said we don't need the old testament anymore and and there have been pastors who have said we don't need the old testament anymore and, oh and then we don't need those feasts either we don't need all those things that they do we don't need those and but it's it's not about legalism it's about when jesus talks you know what is i think i heard that one of the most the one of the words that is said most often in the Bible is to remember, okay. to remember. That's right. So when he's telling us, when we, when you choose, if you're a Christian and you choose to go and do these feasts, mm -hmm. the feasts that Jesus, that God laid out for his people, it's mm -hmm. to remember what mm -hmm. he did. They That's are right. remembering That's every. Right thing he has done for them and we yeah. don't do that that in the christian faith in the no. in the church right but well, that's we, a very jewish thing to that's remember right. that's right that's exact and here i i have the greatest a friend of mine who's he uh seminary professor he says he's a hebrew professor he says that the word remember has this idea not just of remembering but acting on the memory after the flood, it says, and God remembered Noah, and he he dried up the earth. And it sounds like God was forgetting until he was having coffee one morning. He's like, oh, I, I remember Noah. And no, no, no. <laughs> uh, to remember is to know and make real and act upon your memory. And, um, and this seminary friend, he said... To remember my anniversary is to celebrate it with great love and passion. That it, and and to remember your anniversary in terms of I just recalled the date, but I'm not going to do anything about it, is incredibly insulting to his wife, who says, "How dare you? You've forgotten." Or it, he didn't forget it in his head, but he didn't celebrate it and memorialize it and refresh it and make that memory fresh and new and so yeah god gives the feast so that people can understand uh, uh to remind themselves that god redeemed the israel is that god redeemed him as from egypt and much of the torah is actually based on remember what it was like when you were slaves in egypt you shall live differently because of how I freed you. You shall set your slaves and your servants and your animals free every seven days and let them rest because you once were in Egypt and you never got to rest. And so there's that remember, remember, but then, and then Jesus says, do this in remembrance 
of me when he gives the and so honestly i think it's incredibly enriching to celebrate the feasts but i also say it's incredibly enriching to also celebrate the birth of jesus on christmas and his death and resurrection on what we call easter <laughs> i am not mm -hmm. i am not at all a person who feels like dump the one the new stuff and only embrace the old i i am kind of sad when i've I, um there have been waves of uh, i've been around the this world of they call it jewish the jewish roots and there seems to be a recent wave of people saying oh i don't like christmas and easter and that's really unhelpful and unhealthy because those are wonderful remembrances praise god mm -hmm. jesus came that god walked on earth and came and loved and saved us and he died and rose again wow that's incredible but there's more to the story and so it's fine to add some more to it I think that's very rich, but I, I, I don't agree with throwing away the things that we have been doing. So Right. And we have to make a distinction between the Hebrew roots movement, which mm -hmm. is basically saying, if you're a Christian, you need to become Torah observant. Um, mm -hmm. And then what we're doing is studying the roots of scripture, studying the Hebrewness of scripture and who that's Jesus it. was. And, it's bringing in the richness of that culture, of that history, because, I mean, their history goes way back farther than ours as Christians and um, as the church, um, even as the United States, you know, um, we are such young people compared to other countries in the world and, and learning about their culture helps us understand and specifically, in this case, learning about the Hebrew culture and helps us understand Jesus, helps us understand his word. Yep. And there's yep. great benefit to it. And and yeah, and I always encourage people to do a Passover, a Seder meal. I just had a meeting with my pastor and I was like, when can we do a Seder meal sometime and, mm -hmm. and something like that? Because it's, mm -hmm. while well, Easter, is, yeah, I mean, we're res we are celebrating the resurrection of our savior. But mm -hmm. when you look to see in the Passover, how Jesus is throughout the Passover, mm -hmm. boy, does that give you just a deeper understanding of what he did and the plan mm -hmm. oh, or God, yeah. that God had for him. Yep. There's just so much more to learn. Mm -hmm. We In our lifetime, we can't learn all there is to learn that God has for us and that what God has done. And and even like in John, he says that there's not enough space in the world for the books that would be filled of what Jesus did. That's right. And in that case, we have eternity to learn those things. What we can learn here on this earth, mm -hmm. being understanding that we're part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God lives within us, and then going to eternity to learn everything that we couldn't learn here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's, to me, the difference mm -hmm. um, in some ways. So if that makes any sense, but I, I think there's so much to learn while we're still here on this planet. Amen. Going back again, because I, I, I thought of this. So one of the other abstract things that uh, Solomon wrote was about wisdom. So he kind of turns wisdom into this almost person. He personifies wisdom mm -hmm. and he starts talking about 
that. And, but, but there's a very Hebraic thinking where, um, that we don't get when we discuss wisdom. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, in terms of, we love ideas, ideas, ideas versus wisdom is, well, how shall I live? What way shall I go? You know, this life is a path in which direction shall I take? That's wisdom. That's what it's about. It's more practical. And so wisdom is how do I walk humbly with the Lord? What does he want me to do in each situation? Versus let's talk about ideas. Let's reduce. Instead of talking about the God who revealed himself on earth, let's talk about an idea like monotheism which is an idea but it doesn't it doesn't actually refer to the god who revealed himself it's just an idea that there's only one god and so we get too stuck on the ideas and don't spend as much time on the on what does he actually say to the people that he was communicating with and then ultimately fulfilled his promises in Jesus and i i think that Again, just like we can personify love as God, we can also mm-hmm. personify wisdom as God. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, where we can be wise, mm-hmm. he is wisdom. That's true. You know, where we, where we can love, we have mm-hmm. the capacity to love. Mm-hmm. He is love. And mm-hmm. that's what he does. That's who he is. And it's behind everything he does. And I, I think it's just even understanding mm-hmm. some of those things and Mm-hmm. those differences. Well, let me give your website is rrabbijesus.com mm-hmm. and you have a lot of articles on there. You have a lot of good teaching on there. Um, mm-hmm. Some of your books, I mentioned reading the Bible with Rabbi Jesus, but you had also Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what was right. the third one? Sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus. Uh, I worked with another author. This was kind of my first big book. And this, what I say is, this one is about the Jewish world around Jesus, about feasts and prayers and rabbis and disciples and the Jewish traditions and culture that was going on around him. That's this one. And then this one, walking, is actually about Jesus' words to his disciples that are so Jewish you need to know their Jewishness in order to understand them and apply them to your life. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, this one's pretty practical. It's how do I yes. have a kosher mouth? Meaning how do I not use my tongue to say unkind things you know, Jesus often is talking about, you see in the heart, what comes out of the mouth. And mm-hmm. there's a ton of Jewish thought on that. And I, and so this one's more practical. And then the last one that you're talking about is really, um, it's more about, well, Greek brain, Hebrew brain, how we misunderstand the Bible by not knowing the culture and the way they thought. And so it's, I say, it's it's about the how the Bible thinks. And and we say, oh, I want to think biblically. And we, we think that means very lovingly. But actually it means, what I would say is, well, sometimes the Bible isn't so nice as that it has certain you know the ancient world had certain ideas about concubines and stuff that we you kind of have to think the way it thinks in order to understand what it's saying you and yet you can see how 
we've been changed by our Christian understanding that we've, we think better now about a lot of things. Not always. We lost our, our very strong ideas about like the family and how mm. everything revolves around the family in the Bible. It's very mm-hmm. strong. And we say, oh, let's talk about ideas. And they're talking about, no, let's talk about family. In some right. ways, it's, there's only, there's a reason for that. And it's because, you know, the the first big chunk of it is all about how God is going to work through the family of Israel to redeem the world, or at least to have them be priests to show how to live according to the way he wants to redeem it from uh, evil. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then when Christ comes along and he becomes king of the world, then all of a sudden it becomes open for Gentiles, non-Jews, to join in. And it's shocking. The way they do that is by believing in Christ and believing in God. And then it becomes more about ideas. Is God, is Jesus really the Christ? And and so it's not about so much about them becoming family. Or, and if anything, they, they Paul is kind of saying, well, they're kind of adopted family. And mm-hmm. so that's why it, the the family ideas kind of shift over to allow people to who are not family to become family, which is a surprise, mm-hmm. but we don't, if you're only listening for isms and ideas, monotheisms and ideas, and you're not interested in family, then you're just going to miss most of a lot of what's going on. <laughs> that goes yes, on I family. agree. I agree. Yeah. Because I think even having a heart for Israel, for the Jewish people, mm-hmm. That's God's heart. I mean, God loves us all and he calls us all to himself. But when we look back and see who the Jewish people were to him, Mm -hmm. I think even uh, you made mention somewhere, but, you know, when God called them, what did they say? Yes, here we are. You know, it wasn't just Isaiah. It was, yes, we'll do what you say. Yes, we'll do this and we'll do that. And not that they didn't fail. We all do. And they, they made their own mistakes. But yeah. but when God said, who's going to do this and who's going to do this? And are you going to take my word out? Are you going to follow my commandments? They were all like, yes, we will. What? Yes, we will. And they had to answer. Right. They had to answer. Yes, I will do this. And that's the same thing he's calling us to do t- today. I mean. When he asks us, are you going to follow me? Mm-hmm. And we just say yes, but then we don't do it in the mm-hmm. way that he lays out. Mm-hmm. It's really doing an unjust thing to to Jesus, but also to ourselves because we're missing out on the blessings. We're missing out mm-hmm. on the relationship. We're missing out on so many things when you're in that kind of relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's deeper. Yeah. It goes deeper. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate all that you shared today. And I, uh, I've learned a lot from your books and from just reading your articles and webs on your website. And, and I just wanted to make sure we, we threw that out there because I think it's a really good resource for anybody. And I, and I just want to say that you, you write so simply, you know, in, Nobody, let me rephrase that. You're not trying to speak these big words over people's heads and that you have to have some kind of PhD to read your material. Mm-hmm. It's not like that at all. It's it's very easy to understand and take in and just kind of chew on. And I think that's a definite plus. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's hardwired into my brain. I can read high level stuff. And then when it comes out of my mouth, I mm-hmm. my bro- mouth just 
speak simply. It just mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> even it's if a I wanted thing, to, I think. Yeah, that's so, it. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. I've often been told you make things sound simple, and mm-hmm. um, but that's I love teaching, and I I see that that that's probably your heart and your gifting. And that's what you did. I mean, you taught biology, so you've been teaching in different ways, and you still are. So you just changed your subject matter. Oh, man. That's right. I do. People say, do you miss research? And I say, oh, I do a different kind of research. So that's right. Different and somewhat more useful to a lot of humanity than some of those things that I was doing before. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's about heart knowledge, not just head knowledge anymore. So so thank you so much, and I appreciate you being here and talking with us. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and recommend it to your friends and family. And don't forget to check out my Bible study, Jewels of Hebrews. That's all for today. See you next time.